Well, good morning. It is uh, really good to see you. Let me also welcome you, as Jonathan did. Uh, my name is Adam, one of the pastors here at the church, and I have the joy of opening God's Word for us. If you were here last week, you heard me say that I was not scheduled to preach that sermon. Now, what if I told you that earlier this week I wasn't going to be up here this Sunday preaching this sermon? But Jonathan and his family had gotten sick, and so we made the decision that I would preach this morning. Now, the only reason that I tell you guys that, and the only reason I tell you that is because I truly believe that in some ways God is working on my own sanctification, maybe even more so than he is yours this morning. As I was just thinking about this week and this passage this week, that God is exposing certain sins in my own heart, like the wickedness and the corruption of my own heart, my, my need for control, my anxiety, my desire for approval and acceptance, my fear of man, and so many other things that God is reaching down into my heart and bringing those sins up to the surface. And I, I'm in good company this morning because the passage that we are looking at is written by David, and he is confessing his sin to God this morning. So I feel no problem whatsoever confessing my sin to you this morning because there is hope and there is life found only in Christ. And so, again, good morning. It's great to see you. But if, if you've been here for the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at different passages that are meant to help orient our mind and heart to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. How the cross of Christ literally changes everything for us. That all of the Old Testament and really the entire story of humanity, the reason we exist is that Jesus would come and die for the sins of the world. And this morning, we're going to see just that as we take some time to look at a passage from the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible, either in print or on a device, let me invite you to turn with me to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Um, And as you're turning there, hopefully this will become apparent as we make our way through this psalm. But if you are looking for a place in the Old Testament where there is so much gospel, uh, then it would be hard to find a better place than Psalm 32 because right out of the gate, it's going to give us good news. Uh, In fact, as I was reading the commentary this past week, I learned that Augustine, the church father, that this was his favorite psalm. That he would read it frequently. In fact, that while he was dying, he had it inscribed on the wall next to his deathbed so that he could meditate on it. So if it is good news for Augustine, I think it's really good news for us as well this morning. Now before we read the passage, I was preparing this week and I was just reading through the psalm over and over again. There's a particular story, uh, an account from Jesus' ministry Uh, that Luke tells us about in Luke chapter 7 that I just couldn't shake. It just kept coming back into my mind. And so to set the stage for this psalm, I'm going to start first by talking about Jesus, which is really what the psalm is ultimately about anyway. So here's the scene, Luke chapter 7. A Pharisee had invited Jesus into his home for a meal. And then out of nowhere, this, this woman shows up. And Luke tells us that She's a woman of the city who's a sinner. He doesn't say anything else about what kind of woman she is. He doesn't give us any details on what that means. But if we read between the lines, we could probably make some pretty good guesses as to what kind of sinner she was. And here's what happens. She's standing behind Jesus. And she's at his feet and 
Tears are just streaming down her face. She's weeping. And Luke tells us that she wet his feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair and she kissed them and anointed them with really expensive ointment. And Simon, this Pharisee who's watching this, is disgusted by her and what she is doing. And he says to himself, doesn't Jesus know what sort of woman this is who's touching him? Now, of course, Jesus knows what he is thinking because he's Jesus. You can't hide anything from him. And so he says to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. And then he tells a story of a money lender who has two debtors. One who owed him a whole lot of money, nearly two years worth, and one who owed him less, about two months worth. And then he says, when they couldn't pay back the debt, he canceled the debt of both. And then Jesus asked him a very penetrating and revealing question. He says, now which of them do you think will love him more? That's a really important word. He doesn't say, who do you think will thank him more or appreciate him more? But he says, who do you think will love him more? And Simon knows the answer. The one with the larger debt will love him more. But what he doesn't know is that Jesus had just put a giant mirror in front of him and he is blind to his own debt and his own sin and his own lack of love for Jesus. And here you have this woman. She's unnamed who, along with everyone else, knows that she is a sinner who's been living with guilt and shame for who knows how long, who has a debt to God she knows that she can't pay, and God himself in the flesh is sitting there. And she's absolutely blown away by him, by his forgiveness, that her debt has been canceled. And so she comes out of hiding at the risk of shaming herself even more. And in a very public way, she says to all those people, I know that I'm a sinner. But that man right there, he's the Savior. And she's so overwhelmed by the grace that has been shown her that she can't help but show her love for Jesus. She is compelled to. And at this point in the story, Jesus looks over at the Pharisee And he says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. That he who is forgiven little loves little, but the one who is forgiven much loves much. And he says to the woman, woman, your faith has saved you, not what you did here. That's not what saved you. Your faith has saved you, so go in peace. Your sins are no more. And to use the language of our psalm, happy is the one who's Sin has been forgiven. Now keep that image in mind, that story in mind as we make our way through this because what's going to be right in front of our faces is that like her, we are all sinners in need of the same forgiveness. It doesn't matter what you do, what sin you wrestle with, big or small, it doesn't matter. We are all sinners in need of the same forgiveness. And what's hardwired into all of us is that we try to hide our sin We try to hide it from others. We try to hide it from ourselves. We're blind to it. And we try ultimately to hide our sin from God. And there is no amount of makeup. There's no amount of clothes or money or pleasure or the different masks that we put on that we can hide behind or that will make us happy. And so God is saying to us this morning, you can come out of hiding. You can stop trying to impress other people. 
You can stop trying to suppress your guilt and shame by so many other things. You can stop trying to cover your sin. Bring it out in the open. Confess it and let me cover you because that is precisely why Jesus came and that's why his cross is necessary and that's where our happiness this morning is found. And when we feel forgiven much, when we truly experience the grace of God that our debt has been paid, just as Jesus said to that woman, he says to us today that we will love him for it. We won't just think that he's great, that he's a nice guy for doing that, but we'll love him for it. We won't need to be convinced to love Jesus more than sin. So if you have a Bible or if you have the bulletin in front of you, this is Psalm 32. Hear this good news for us. And you heard this from our New Testament reading in Romans 4. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father, your word says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, It yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Father, would you make that true for us this morning? By your spirit, would you speak to us through your word? May we meditate and may we delight in it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, right out of the gate in this psalm, you get good news, right? Even after a quick reading here, you may have been able to see the bookends of this passage. Notice that it begins and ends with being glad in God. David, who, who wrote this, tells us the reason for why we should be glad right there in verses 1 and 2. He says, blessed, but you could also translate that word happy. Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy is the man against whom the Lord counts or credits no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. And then verse 11, be glad in the Lord 
and shout for joy. So right away, why should we be happy? Why are you and I blessed if we are trusting in the Lord? Why are we commanded to be glad in the Lord and to shout for joy? The answer is because our sins have been forgiven. And what we see in this psalm is that it is all by grace through faith. But before we go on, notice notice what those first couple verses don't say. They don't say that you're no longer a sinner who doesn't sin. That you'll just walk out of church this morning and you'll never struggle with sin again. You'll never need to confess your sin again. That's not what it says. And David's going to prove how that's not the case by sharing his own story here. But notice what it does say. It says, blessed or happy is the person against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Like your, your sin is no longer part of your record. And this, from our New Testament reading, this is precisely what Paul makes a big deal of in Romans 4. How are you and I made right with God? How are our sins forgiven? It's not by works. It's not by anything that we can earn because we have a debt that we can't pay back, but it's by faith. It's by faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross that our sins are counted or credited to him and his righteousness is credited to us. Or another way that we can put that is he covers us with his own righteousness and that we are hidden in him, which is what this psalm is pointing to. So he says here, happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy is the person against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Do you feel the gladness of that? Which means that you and I have been given the greatest gift imaginable, and it is all by grace. Our sin that deserves judgment has been dealt with. And so David here is asking us the question, do you want to be happy? Which is like asking a four-year-old, I've learned that if, like, do you want ice cream for breakfast? Like the answer is always yes, right? And David's going to show us here where that happiness is found, and he does it by giving us a personal testimony from his own life because he's been down both paths. He's felt the sorrows of trying to hide his sin from God, from trying to cover it up on his own, which is exhausting, by the way from coddling his sin, from trying to find satisfaction in it. And he's also felt the satisfaction and the joy that comes from giving it to God and having the burden lifted and the debt paid. And so he says to us, there are two paths you can take. One leads to sorrow, one leads to joy. We can either hide from God or we can hide in God. And so let's let those serve as two of our main points. Hiding from God and in God. And then at the end here, I just want to end with a plea for us to be glad in God, which is where this psalm ends. And, and as, we, as we move along here, like, I want you guys to notice the trajectory of what's happening. That it begins with conviction of sin. God's convicting him of sin, which leads by God's grace to confession of sin, which then leads to our sin being covered by God. In other words, this is how one becomes a Christian. And this is how one stays a Christian. So first, hiding from God. Hiding from God. You know, one of the joys 
of being a preacher at this point in my life is that my kids are young enough that I can still exploit them by using them as sermon illustrations and still get away with it. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to apologize for that. But right now, our, our daughter's in the hide-and-seek hide phase, which primarily means she wants to do the hiding and she wants me to do the finding. And to be quite honest, I, I'm perfectly happy to play alone because it's not all that hard at this point. She's four. Because here's the thing, kids at her age, they're not trying that hard to make it all that difficult. Like, it's not like they're going three doors down in the dark, hiding in a cellar somewhere. That's not what they're doing. But all they think is that if you can't see their face, then it must mean that you can't see any part of them. Or even better, if you see where they go and they're not even trying to hide that from you, even if it's like three feet away on the couch, that if they just put a blanket over them, even if their arms and legs are hanging out, they think they're completely hidden. And here's the beautiful thing, that when you find them, which wasn't that hard to begin with, They think it's the best thing in the world. They are actually giddy about being found. Now let that serve as an illustration for how we are with God and with our sin. We're not all that different, are we? And this is the picture that David paints in verses three and four. He is hiding from God. He is working really hard to cover up his stuff. And if you know anything about David's life, you know that he's had some pretty good practice with that. Like you, you'll remember the incident, the debacle that unfolded between him and Bathsheba. And as you're reading that story, you've got to be thinking to yourself, and this guy is going through some pretty extreme lengths to try to cover up his sin. He even kills a guy for it. And here's the thing. David probably would have gotten away with it. David probably would have gotten away with his sin if God had not blown his cover when the prophet Nathan comes to him and exposes him for who he really is, that he's a sinner like the rest of us who deserves to die for his sin. But here's what we need to see, and we see it right here in the psalm, is that God exposing him and God making him miserable was the most merciful thing that he could do for him, and it is the most merciful thing that he can do for us when he exposes our sin. But for some of us, we, we think just like David did. And we may be able to hide our sin from other people, and some of us have become masters at that. At that. But that's not your main problem. Your wife... Your kids, your boss, the person you're trying to hide from, they are not your main problem. Your main problem is that you can't hide your sins from God to whom you've sinned against and to whom you must give an account. But the impulse for us to try is not learned behavior. Like, we don't need to learn that from our parents. We are born with that. And the classic example of this, and the reason that it's true for all of us, is that our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden, Genesis 3, they sin against God. It says their eyes are open. They knew they were naked. They felt guilt and shame for their sin. And so like us, what do they do? What do you do? They panic, and they take matters into their own hands. And they cover themselves up with some fig leaves like that was going to do the trick. And then it says they hear God walking in the garden. And for the first time, They're like, we can't let him see us like this. And so they hide from him. But then what does God do? 
He calls them out of darkness into the light. He uncovers their sin, but he doesn't leave them naked, does he? He provides a covering for them. So what we see here in verses three through four is David hiding, he's concealing. Just listen to how miserable he is doing that. He says there, verse three, for when I kept silent, when I didn't acknowledge or confess my sin, but I covered it up, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now clearly the picture that he paints here is not a sunny one. Now this is a far cry from all the talk of being happy there in verses one through two, but the point seems to be this. That David hasn't found the satisfaction in sin that he was hoping for. In fact, it's the, it's, it's the exact opposite. That he is sick and he is suffering because of it. And the lesson for us is that unconfessed sin really is like cancer to the soul. It's eating away at us. It's at our joy, at our life, because it separates us from the God who gives it. And you are flat out exhausted from the burden of trying to carry it from trying to pretend that it's actually satisfying you. Now, for those of us who've suffered through at least several South Carolina summers, or maybe you're from the deep south and you know what it really means to suffer during the summer, but it's like being outside in the middle of June, in the middle of the day, without any shade or covering. Like, that wipes you out. Nobody feels refreshed by that, do they? You feel wrecked by it. That's how David feels here. here. And maybe for some of us, that's exactly how you feel. Like if you're being honest this morning, that's exactly how you feel. Far from God, hiding from him, fear being found out. But what we need to know, and we need David's life to serve as an example for us, is that there is no lasting happiness there. There's only sorrow. A keeping silent about your sin is a burden. It is not a blessing. But did you catch what he says there in those verses? Who's the one ultimately making David miserable? Who's the one who's convicting him of sin, who's calling him out of hiding, who's pressing in on him so that his sin rises to the surface? He says it there in verse four. He says, your hand, God, was heavy upon me. Like he, he felt the hand of God pressing down on him. Now, I'm, I'm a lot bigger than my kids and a lot stronger. I'm not saying a whole lot, but I am. But if I, I put my hand on their back and press down, they're not gonna be able to stand up. But the thing is, what David is saying here is that God was being merciful to him by making him so miserable. Because God was showing him what sin is really like. It is a slave, it is not a savior. It is a sickness. It is not your satisfaction. And what we need to see is that this is what the Holy Spirit does in us when he convicts us of sin and draws us out of hiding. He does not press down on us to pound us into the ground to punish us. But he does it to prove his love for us and to produce in us a love for him, which is why if you feel any misery over the fact that you are a sinner who has sinned, and maybe that's happening right now for you. God is being merciful by calling you out and exposing you for what you are. Because some of us here have been hiding from God for a really long time. 
We've been hiding from other people. We've been hiding from ourselves, and we are exhausted. You're just tired. Maybe you fear being found out. Maybe you fear there's no forgiveness for you. Maybe you don't feel like God really cares, that your sin isn't that big of a deal to him. Or maybe you walked in here with an overwhelming sense of guilt and shame and you feel absolutely disgusting about yourself. Or maybe you know that you've been coddling certain sins, that you've become comfortable with them. Maybe it's anxiety rooted in a deep distrust that the Lord will actually provide all that you need. Maybe you fear man more than you fear God, always seeking their approval when you already have his. Maybe you love what other people have more than what God has given you and you are constantly discontent. Whatever it is, here's what you need to know. God sees you. He sees all of you. And that can either bring about fear or freedom, but if you feel any misery over your sin this morning, any conviction, it is God's mercy and kindness to you because he knows that it cannot satisfy you or make you happy. And if you're honest, you know that for yourself. He knows that it can't save you, only he can. So he says to you this morning, come to me. Feel the freedom of that. Come to me. Stop being silent about your sins. Stop trying to hide. Stop trying to pretend. Stop being stubborn. Confess it. Humble yourself. Take the cover off because I provided in Christ through the cross a cover for you. Because the very one you are hiding from is the very one you should be hiding in, which is the next thing that I want us to see. God's conviction here is meant to lead us to confession, which means that our sin will never be counted against us when we give it to God. And brothers and sisters, this is the good news of the gospel of grace is that we are hidden in God. Look there what he says in verse five. Again, he's been concealing his sin. Now he confesses it. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I stopped hiding it. I uncovered it. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, if that wasn't in the Bible, that would be nearly unbelievable, right? This is a picture of what confession is. This is what we do every single Sunday. We did it this morning. So we're acknowledging to God what he already knows. It's our coming out of hiding. It's saying to him, you're right about me. I am messed up and I'm tired of acting like I'm not. It's our coming clean that we stand condemned and bring nothing to the table that can justify us, that he would be just to judge us because we have looked for satisfaction and happiness and fulfillment and sin rather than God. And again, what we see here is that God does not convict us of our sin in order to condemn us. He does not call us out of hiding so that he can shame us. He calls us out to save us, to hide us in himself. David says, I confess my transgressions to the Lord because you, Lord, are the one that I've sinned against. I owe you a debt that I can't pay. I own that. And wonder of all wonders, all because of grace, you forgave my sins. You canceled it. You covered it. You carried it away. And I think what David means here, I don't want us to lose this. I think what David means here is that he truly felt God's forgiveness. That this wasn't an intellectual thing for him. That this wasn't just some doctrine that he believed. But this was a heart thing. 
that this was a reality that he truly delighted in, something that he had experienced. And he felt the burden of his sin that he had been carrying around that was crushing him, that was exhausting him. And be it for us, adultery or anxiety or fear of man or fear of the future or cynicism or sarcasm or love of money or love of approval, whatever it is, when he confessed it to God, God reached down. Get that image in your mind. God reached down and he lifted the weight of his sin off of his back, never to burden him again. So I think what David's saying here is that he felt the weight of his sin come off and felt totally free from it. And he's saying that there is no way to describe the joy and the blessing and the happiness that comes from no longer feeling the need to hide from God anymore. And no longer feeling the need to hide from other people anymore. From trying to cover our sin, pretending that it's not there because God in his mercy calls us out of hiding to hide us in him. He uncovers us to cover us. He speaks the hard truth into our lives to save us. Though I stand guilty and condemned and deserving of his judgment, he gives me grace. And David said, it floods my heart with joy. Which is why he says in verse one, blessed, happy is the one whose sin is covered, whose transgression is forgiven, whom the Lord counts no iniquity. David experienced the forgiveness firsthand and a restored fellowship with God. And the question for us is, Have we ever experienced that? Have we ever felt that forgiveness? That burden that we've been carrying around for so long being lifted off of our backs. And another question that we still need to ask here is how do we know that we are truly forgiven? That God's not playing games with us. How do we know for certain, as verse one says, that our sin when we confess it to God is actually covered and that he'll never crush us with it? Now we can come out of hiding and not fear being held to account that our debts have actually been paid. We've already been saying this, but part of the answer is found there in verse seven. David says, it's because you, God, you are a hiding place for me. Just listen to that language. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And then verse 10, steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, those are powerful promises for us. For those of us who trust in the Lord, who have faith in him, the reason that we no longer need to fear judgment or wrath or the penalty of sin, the reason that our forgiveness is final and our joy is secure is because the one we have sinned against, the one that we owe the debt to, has himself provided us a place to hide and it is in him. God himself has paid our debt. God himself has covered us. God himself has absorbed the wrath and has protected us from it that we deserve. David says, you, the one that I was hiding from, are the only safe place for me to hide in. So I want us to get this image in our minds. It's so helpful for me this week. You, as you sit right there right now, hiding in God, trust in the Lord, hiding in him, him protecting you and shielding you that the waters of wrath can never reach you verse 6 troubles can't touch you verse 7 your sin can't separate his steadfast love from you verse 10 
So if, if you're running from God this morning, turn and run to him because he alone is your safety and your satisfaction. He's your help and your happiness. That forgiveness for sin is for those who by faith have found in God a place to hide and who love him for it. And so hopefully by now, this isn't hard for us to see, right? Hopefully by now, you can see how all of this is pointing to the cross. How do we know that our sins are forgiven, forgotten, covered, not counted against us? How is it even possible that could be the case? The answer is the cross. Jesus got our sin and we got his righteousness. He got our judgment, we get his joy. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So to go back to the question at the beginning, guys, do you want to be happy? Do you want to be satisfied and safe and secure forever? Then sin, whatever it is for you, is not your solution. There is only sorrow there. So give it to God. Because you will never be more satisfied, you will never be more safe, you will never be more secure or happy than being hidden with Christ in God. And if you ever wonder, will he ever stop loving me? Can my sins ever be counted against me? Can I ever be separated from him? Can my security ever be shaken? Look back with me there at the end of verse seven. David says, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. And then look at the end of verse 10. Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. So again, get this picture of yourself. That everywhere you go, right now, at home, at the grocery store, at work, in all the hard situations, at the hospital, while you're awaiting the test results, the steadfast love of God surrounds you. You can't be touched by anything that will ultimately harm you. Your sin can no longer condemn you because you are in God and he is your protection. You are hidden with Christ who confirms by his cross the steadfast love of God for those who trust in him. Or as Paul says in Romans 8, which is probably the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is there any greater news in all the world than that? Should that not make us happy? Which leads to our third and last point briefly. It's just a plea for us to be glad in God, which is where the psalm began, where it ends. Verse one, happy is the one whose sin is forgiven. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So David begins the psalm by saying, if your sins have, have been forgiven, if you have faith in the Lord, you are blessed. And at the end, he is saying, are you experiencing the blessing? Like, when was the last time you shouted for joy? That you've been saved. 
Is your heart happy this morning that you have God? There in the middle of the psalm in verse six, you see the word therefore. He says, therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. God is not far from us today. He's not hiding from us. Though we may in fact be hiding from him. So for all of us here this morning, this is an invitation to joy. It is a call for us to come and to get God. To experience the happiness of having your sins covered and never counted against you. To have both the forgiveness and the friendship with God. Who sent his son into the world to die on a cross to cover your sin with his blood. It is a call for us to come clean and to confess, to see our sin for what it is. That it is separation from the only one who can truly satisfy us and who can truly secure us when we have sought for it elsewhere. And and friends, those of us who love God and who love his grace, we don't need to be convinced that sin is like sickness, do we? Like, do do you know anyone who just loves being sick? Like, sign me up for some suffering. I just want some more suffering in my life. Nobody says that. Because there's no joy there. There's no wholeness. There's no happiness. That's why it's called sickness. But for those who love God, who are hiding in him and not from him, who know what it costs to have our sins forgiven, our debt paid, we don't need to be convinced to stay near him. But like David, we will still struggle to believe, won't we? Sin will still deceive us, which is why he says there in verse 9, don't be like a horse or a mule, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. That's a warning for us not to treat our sin lightly. Not to become stubborn and stiff-necked, but to be quick to confess and quick to come out of hiding, quick to hide in him, to be glad in God and to go where he goes. Let me, let me end where we started. Remember the woman in Luke 7, just weeping at the feet of Jesus. Overwhelmed by her guilt and shame. Overwhelmed by grace and salvation. Which of the debtors who've been forgiven their debt will love the moneylender more? Jesus asks. The one who has forgiven much will love much. Friends, we are the ones who've been forgiven much this morning. And may God help us love him much to be truly glad in him this morning for the salvation that he gives us in Christ. Amen. Let me pray. Father, your word really is like gold. It is more precious than gold. Father, we thank you for the the good news of grace this morning. And Father, I I know that there are some sitting here today who are just hiding sin, who fear coming clean. God, I've been there. I I don't want to be found out either. God, I pray that you would show us, that you call us out so that you can cover us, so that we can be forgiven. That's why you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for us. So Father, would you help us to believe the good news this morning? Would you help us to flee to God, our refuge? We pray this in his name, amen.